So it's been a while since I've had a chance to speak with you on Sunday morning, so I feel like I should probably introduce myself if we haven't met before. My name is Dan Hornback. I'm a member of the church, and God has put something on my heart, and I want to share that with you today. So I'm going to start by explaining that about 13 years ago, <clears throat> my wife and I bought our very first home, and I brought a picture of that house to share with you. Turns out home ownership's kind of a funny thing. Because I remember when Sarah and I sat down at the closing table to finish the deal. We signed something like 40, 50 documents, that's what it felt like, none of which we would have ever had the time to actually read before signing, but we signed anyway, document after document. And then something significant happened after we signed that last document. We became homeowners. It's the American dream, right? Home ownership. And let me kind of explain to you what this was like graphically. See, it was kind of like we were just walking along one day. Let's see, I'll advance to the graphic. Gene, I might need to have you do it. It looks like my clicker's probably not working. So look at this. I was kind of walking along. Sarah and I were walking along one day, and and then we signed a contract. And at that very moment, we got rocketed up to 100% home ownership. And at that point, that's how society sees us from that point forward as homeowners. And we get to check that box on all the forms. And then a few hours later, later that same day, I had a second thought. Wait a minute. How much of this house do we actually own? Now, 13 years ago, it was possible to obtain a mortgage with zero money down. We were all over that. So my question for you is, how much of that house did we actually own on day one of our home ownership? Zero. This much. Not a single brick. We didn't own any of it. So the reason is because when you purchase a mortgage, or when you purchase a home with a mortgage, there are really these two realities that are working out at the same time. In one reality, you are 100% homeowner. And you know this because when the government comes to collect taxes on the property... They come to you, the homeowner. They don't go to the bank. And someone has to purchase insurance to protect the property. That's your job, the homeowner. Nobody else is going to do that. When the water heater breaks, who's on the hook to fix the water heater? The landlord, right? (laughs) Wouldn't that be nice? That's me. The homeowner is on the hook to fix the water heater. So... In a very real sense, you are 100% homeowner. But at the very same time, there's this other reality where you own absolutely nothing on day one. And so begins this long process. And actually, you know what? That really hits home that you own absolutely nothing that first time you get the receipt back from the first monthly mortgage payment. And you realize that teeny tiny portion of your payment that actually went toward the principal of the home. And it's that moment where you think to yourself, oh, man, this is going to take forever. And that's when this long process begins, moving slowly over time, building equity. And it goes up and down over time, right? There are are times when it goes up. You do some do-it-yourself projects. You redo the bathroom, update the kitchen cabinets. You finish the basement, and your home equity increases. And then an economic recession hits, and home values plummet, and your equity goes down, speaking from experience. And then, for a while, it plateaus, and that's 
fine for a while. But over the long term, the way this works is that if you faithfully pay your monthly mortgage, you will build equity slowly over time until at some point in the distant future, like 30 years from now, reality number two comes up to meet reality number one. And at that moment, you become the homeowner you've always been. (laughs) So it's a lot like this with the spiritual life. You can imagine moving along in your life, and at some point... You become exposed to the gospel and you, you believe in the truth of the gospel and repent of your sin and ask Jesus to come into your life. At that moment, you become justified. That's what the Bible says. That means legally right with God. At that moment, in the spiritual realm, God sees you as 100% righteous, conformed to his righteous standard. He sees you as absolutely qualified to be with him in eternal heaven. It's called justification. And it's a spiritual reality. Because it's a spiritual reality, it's a little bit tricky because you probably won't feel anything the next morning. You won't see a physical change in your body. You might not even feel anything on an emotional level. That's because there's a second reality playing itself out at the same time. It's reality number two, and it's a physical reality, the physical human condition where you're actually very far away from being in conformity to God's standard. And that's when you begin this slow, long process of actually in your physical life becoming righteous. And it's a process that's called sanctification. It's the process of growing slowly holy over time, slowly more righteous. And you see this progress in your life. It's up and it's down sometimes. But at some point, off in the distant future you die. Because unfortunately, reality number two never actually matches up to reality number one. It's different than a mortgage. But that's okay. Because one of the beautiful things about the gospel is that when God is deciding whether he wants to find you acceptable, when he's deciding where your eternal destination will be, whether you're fit to be with him in eternity, he looks exclusively at justification, your legal standing with him that was purchased by Jesus Christ. He doesn't look at sanctification, your progress toward holiness. He only looks at the work that Jesus did and you had nothing to do with it because he earned it for you. Praise God for that. Part of me wants to just like iterate on that for another hour this morning, but that's not really what God has laid on my heart to share with you today. What I think he wants me to share with you today is talking about this reality number two, specifically sanctification. And we need to keep in mind that that reality number one exists up there, but we're going to talk about this long process of growing in Christian maturity, growing more and more holy over time. Now, you know those... um, giant inflatable bungee run things that you see at like a, a community festival or a, um, like a, a kid's birthday party. I've got a picture of one here for you. You would be shocked to find out how many people in the first service have actually been in one of these things. How many of you, show of hands, how many have been in one of these things? Okay, this side of the room, basically. That's really interesting. 
The, so uh, uh, these giant inflatable bungee run things, you've seen them before. You don't know how bad I wanted to bring one of these in this morning. <laughs> I, I figured if we could clear out like the first two or three rows, we would have plenty of room for it. But I figured it might be hard to kind of shout over the sound of the blower. It, there are a lot of complications. Um, so we decided not to do that. And instead, you get the next best thing, which is a stick drawing to do that. <laughs> this is a picture of you or me inside one of these inflatable bungee run things. And for the purpose of our illustration, over here on this side is the sinful nature. And over here on this side is righteousness. The Bible says that before believing in Jesus, each of us is a slave to the sinful nature. It is our master. Let me read this for you again in Romans chapter 6. We'll see it up on the screen. Do you not know... That if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey. If we move ahead forward in that passage, it says, you who were once slaves of sin. And further again in the passage, it says, you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness. It's like we're tethered to the sinful nature. But the wicked thing about that tether is the spring. So I want you to think about this. We're going to borrow some themes from physics this morning. And, and I feel like we can do this because as you look at the world around you and you experience science and chemistry and physics and actual everyday life, I think God has given us those things to even help us understand spiritual concepts. And I see Jesus kind of drawing on the physical world around him all the time in the scriptures. Like when he says... The kingdom of God is like seeds sown in, a, in the ground, in a field. Or the kingdom of, of heaven is like, uh, like a net gathering in fish. Or it's like yeast moving through a loaf of bread. Or the times when he gathers the disciples together and he says, guys, look at that fig tree over there. And then he gives some sort of a, a spiritual teaching from the fig tree. So in that same vein, we're going to look at a principle from physics this morning. And it's going to try and help us understand our process towards sanctification. So the first thing to think about is this tether spring. It's like a, a, a tension spring. If you don't know what that is, take a look at your bulletin on the front page there. I gave you a picture of a tension spring. That's a spring that's all tightly coiled up, and it usually has hooks on both ends, so that if you pull on it, the spring extends, but if you let go of one end, it snaps back to its original position, all tightly coiled up. The thing about a tension spring is that when it's unloaded, like you're not pulling on it, it doesn't exert any force on anything. It just sits there. It's dead weight. So if we are tethered to the sinful nature with something like a tension spring, and it's in its, its resting position, we don't feel anything. There's no force being exerted anywhere. And it's tricky because there is a physical reality where we have flesh and bone and we have a beating heart, and we have a functioning brain. So physically, we're alive, but spiritually, we feel absolutely nothing. And that's exactly where Satan wants you to be. He wants you to be numb, physically alive, spiritually dead. So you don't even know that you're tethered to him. There's a quote from C.S. Lewis in this book he wrote called The Screwtape Letters. And this has always resonated with me. It's talking about a person in this kind of a condition. He says... The more often he feels without acting, 
the less he will ever be able to act. And in the long run, the less he will be able to feel. 2 Corinthians 4.4 4 says, The God of this world has blinded the minds of, unbelie- of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. See, Satan's goal is for you and I to remain in this state, held tightly to the sinful nature, feeling absolutely nothing in the spiritual realm, hearing nothing, seeing nothing, and to stay that way indefinitely. Okay, now in the Old Testament, God provided a law for the people of Israel. It was like a moral code that dictated how they're supposed to behave in order to come in line with God's righteous standard. And that moral code's kind of summarized by the Ten Commandments. And, and that moral code has really become a standard of morality for pretty much the whole world. Anywhere you go, if you ask someone about morality, they inherently start talking about things like not killing people, not stealing things, not cheating on your spouse, the Ten Commandments. So at some point, as you're tethered to the sinful nature, this force of morality begins pulling you in this direction. And that force of morality is driven by an adherence to the law. And it's trying to, to uh, you can go ahead and advance, Gina. It's trying to pull you in this direction because God created the law. God is, is kind of the definition of righteousness. So it makes sense that you have this, this force moving you in this direction. But now I want you to see how wicked this tether is. As soon as a force gets applied in that direction, a new force awakens, pulling you back toward the sinful nature. It's the force of sin. Now, here's the way this works. We're going to use an equation. I know it's dangerous using an equation in church. I understand that. But I want you to hang with me. If you can advance us one more, Gina. This shows now, this is going to help us understand where sin draws its power. Okay? F equals KX. In physics, it's called Hooke's Law. It's the equation that defines the behavior of a spring. F is the force of the spring that's pulling in that direction. Okay? X is the force, or is, sorry, the, the extension of the spring. It's the amount of distance that you extend the spring. And K in the middle is what's known as the spring constant. That's what defines how stiff the spring is. You can think of it like the thickness of the wire that makes up the spring. Is it big, fat, and beefy, or is it this tiny little thing, right? So that's how the equation works. What it means is that as you extend the spring longer and longer, the force that's pulling in that direction gets bigger and bigger. Now let's think about it spiritually. If you can advance me a couple of more, Gina. Our clicker isn't working today, so we're going uh, old school. Sin equals the tether stiffness times the distance from the sinful nature. Okay, think about this now. What this is saying is that As morality pulls me in this direction, increasing my distance from the sinful nature, the force of sin becomes stronger in that direction. And the tether stiffness is like the spring constant. That determines how hard sin pulls back in this direction. And you might even imagine that the longer you remain tethered to the sinful nature, the fatter that spring becomes. That that spring stiffness, that tether stiffness gets higher. Now remember, that tether force... The, 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 the sin force is nothing without morality. That's how the equation works. 
If morality goes away, then the force of sin goes away, and the spring snaps back to its resting position, and no force is exerted anywhere, no one feels anything. So now that we've seen it pictorially, I want to read this principle to you in the scripture. Romans chapter 7, verse 7. I'm going to read it slowly so we can follow along on the diagram. It says, What shall we say? That the law is sin? By no means. If it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. For I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had not said, You shall not covet. But sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, produced inside of me all kinds of covetousness. Apart from the law, sin lies dead. I was once alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin came alive and I died. The very commandment that promised life proved to be death to me. For sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, deceived me and through it killed me. So the law is holy and the commandment is holy and righteous and good. Did that which is good then bring death to me? By no means. It was sin producing death in me through what is good in order that sin might be shown to be sin and through the commandment might become sinful beyond measure. See, sin is wicked beyond measure because it waits for morality to pull you some distance away from the sinful nature, which is a good thing, right? To to create that distance, but then sin uses that distance. It feeds on that distance to increase its power, to snap you back in the other direction. And, and as long as morality is holding fast and you're following the rules and being a good person, yeah, it's kind of okay, but as soon as there's a moral slip, sin waits right there. And as soon as the morality decreases, snap, it brings you right back to the sinful nature. And then comes the guilt and the regret until you can muster up more energy. Okay, okay, I'm going to be a better person this time. I'm going to follow the law, follow the rules better. Here I go. And you move in this direction and you hold out as long as you can until there's a moral failure. And then sin takes over and snap right back to the sinful nature. And this is a cycle that repeats over and over. It's like a wicked, nasty, inflatable bungee run thing. And it is a terrible, dreadful state to be in. But this is where we all found ourselves, according to the scripture. Even if you don't remember that, we have all at once found ourselves enslaved to the sinful nature. There is no possible way a human can rescue himself out of this situation. It can't be done. This requires a rescue. Jesus Christ is the rescue. Now, there's a view of Jesus that's kind of common, and it's that Jesus sort of amps up your morality. Like, he continues to pull you in this direction and, like, hold you as hard as he can. If you can advance us one more, Gene, I think we'll see that. Maybe one more. So Jesus is moving in this direction and helping you to be moral because, you know, in the scriptures, he teaches us how to live in a way that's more in line with God's righteous standard. And so if we can follow his example... In that sense, he's kind of like holding us away from the sinful nature in this like tense balance, but it's still on the basis of morality. So any moral failure 
and we get snapped back into the sinful nature again. Jesus doesn't just amp up your morality to hold you away from the sinful nature. That's not sustainable. Let me tell you what Jesus does when you ask him to take over your life. He walks up to that tether with these lopping shears. And he walks up and he goes, and the tether's gone. Sin is dead. The sinful nature no longer has mastery over you. Now, there's an amazing thing that happens at that very same moment. This is the time, if we, if we kind of blip back to reality number one, the, the spiritual reality, this is that moment of justification where you get rocketed up to conformity to God in the spiritual realm. But we're not talking about that right now. We're talking about the physical reality in this graphic right here. What happens at this moment when that tether gets cut to the sinful nature is that Jesus attaches a new tether to righteousness. If you can move us one forward. There we go. The tether gets attached to righteousness now. Let me read in Romans chapter 6 what happens. For as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at that time for the things of which you're now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. Notice how the Apostle Paul describes this new enslavement. It's not freedom from slavery. It's just transferal from one slave master to a new one. The old slave master wants you dead. The new slave master wants you alive. Eternally. Paul uses these two terms to describe this new master. First, he, and they're underlined in blue here for you. Um, that's okay. Uh, slaves to righteousness is the first term that he uses. The second one, slaves of God. So for the purpose of our illustration, you could almost think of either word being on, on this side of the, the diagram. We're going to stick with the word righteousness moving forward. So the theme is, if you trust in Jesus to break your tether to sin, you immediately become tethered to righteousness. And at this moment, you become born again. You become a new creature. Let's look at the scriptures that describe that. 2 Corinthians 5.17, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. 1 Peter 1.3, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Now, there's something absolutely wonderful about this new tether. It's a spring. There's a new force at work here, and it's actually God living inside of you. He's alive, and he's living. It's actually the Holy Spirit who's living inside of you and now moving you in this direction. 
it's a little bit reminiscent of that old force that used to move you in this direction, but that old force was weak and miserable because it was fueled by guilt and obligation to follow the moral code. And it was opposing this tether that was insurmountable. But this new force is fundamentally different. This Holy Spirit force that's at work in you now, thrusting you toward righteousness, is fueled by thankfulness to God. It's fueled by joy in the salvation that he's provided. It's fueled by liberty and freedom because of grace. Now, part of having this Holy Spirit force working in your life means that he's constantly speaking to you. He's trying to convict and teach and instruct and encourage. And so part of our job now is to listen. Becomes the primary part of our job is to listen to the sound of the Holy Spirit. Let's look at the equation. We got, a, we got an equation for this one too. The force of the Holy Spirit is equal to your sensitivity to the Holy Spirit times the distance from righteousness. It's similar to that old equation, but in this one, the most important term is that sensitivity term. It's like the spring stiffness, okay? Think of it as fatness of the spring. Now, at first, when you become a new believer and you begin a relationship with God, that sensitivity term is almost zero. What that means is that you're not sensitive to the sound of his voice. And, and you can almost imagine that being like a loose, floppy spring, like a, like a slinky. I got a, I've got a picture to kind of show you that, if, you, if we can advance to the next slide. See, it's like real thin, wired spring, and it's just drooping all over the ground. That's because that, that, that sensitivity to the spirit is low. When he's speaking to you, trying to instruct and direct and teach and convict He may be saying, look, you are far away from righteousness. Something needs to be done. And as a new believer, number one, either you don't hear him, or number two, when you do hear him, it's like, oh, yeah, I guess I am pretty far away from being righteous. I guess I'll have to deal with that one of these days. And that's what insensitivity to the Holy Spirit looks like. The good news is that Our sensitivity to the spirit is like a muscle. It can be strengthened. We just have to work out. And that becomes our job for the rest of our lives. Now, spiritually speaking, working out means spending time in the word of God. It means um, memorizing scripture. It means worshiping. It means taking time in prayer, talking with other believers about the Lord, getting to know God better, listening and hearing and, and recognizing the sound of his voice. Galatians 5.25 is helpful when we think about that. Let's look at that. It says, if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Keep in step. The Greek word is stoicheo. It means to fall in line or to march in military rank. Kind of like means to conform. And so what we're being asked and instructed to do in the Scripture is to keep in step with the Holy Spirit. It implies listening carefully for the sound of his voice, which will almost never be audible. It's in in the inner person. Listening to the sound of his voice, and not just listening, but doing and and obeying. Now, as we practice living in that way more and more, 
our tether stiffness gets fatter and fatter and tighter and tighter. Now, if we just advance through these next graphics, you can kind of see how this works. As the spring gets tighter and fatter, the force of the Holy Spirit on our lives gets bigger and bigger and bigger. That's how that equation works. So the goal becomes reaching this point where we are mature believers with a big, fat, tightly wound spring right up against righteousness. We work together with God through all the circumstances of everyday life, working to increase that tether stiffness, growing more and more righteous in our actual physical lives. Remembering all the while in the spiritual realm, we are already righteous. At this point, we're just working on building equity. Now, um, I want to finish with the main point of application that I wanted to get to today. I was a little overzealous and planned to go through like six other scriptures. We're going to have to move through those. I mean, skip over those. What I want to do is get to the, the key scripture in James chapter 4, verse 7. So we can skip right to that one. There it is. Listen, listen to, this speaks to our role in the process of sanctification, knowing that the Holy Spirit is working in us. Here's what it says. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Even as a maturing Christian, with your tether hitched to righteousness... There will be times in your life when you will feel absolutely beat down by the remaining sin in your life. And it might be an outward sin that everybody sees. It might be a more inward sin that only you're aware of. It might be an old habit or a pattern from your old life of enslavement to the sinful nature that just won't seem to go away. It might be a temptation to follow with the anxieties and cares of our society and of this world and the way other people are doing things. Whatever that sin struggle that you have, this is what I want you to know today. That sin has no mastery over you. And you might still think to yourself, oh, you know what? It just keeps cropping back up. You know, and despite all of my best intentions... I just seem to have this inherent tendency to slip back into sin. And that's where you would be wrong. As a slave to righteousness, you no longer have an inherent tendency to sin. That was the old creature under the enslavement of the sinful nature. That was when you had an inherent default tendency to slip into sin. Now, you are a new creature under new ownership. And your tendency is toward righteousness. Your tendency is toward listening to the sound of the Holy Spirit, to the sound of his voice and being receptive to it. Your tendency is toward obedience. But there's a job for us to do. That is to resist the devil and draw near to God. Just to imagine what this is going to look like as you continue in this process of every day growing holier and holier and more and more righteous, imagine yourself looking at the graphic on the screen as a mature believer with this big, fat, tightly wound spring, (coughs) excuse me, right up against righteousness, knowing that your 
spring tether, your slave tether to righteousness is thrusting you into conformity with God's standard. And in this condition, you're so empowered by the Holy Spirit to stay in line with God's standard that 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 force of sin that's like pestering you in the back is so meager, you don't even really feel it. But if at some point that sin force becomes strong enough that it actually budges you away from righteousness, the Holy Spirit sounds the alarm. And you're so sensitive to the sound of his voice, you're like... Whoa, quick, obey, snap, back in to righteousness. Like you just can't tolerate to be away from righteousness for the the slightest moment. See how different that is from the old slinky method? Where you're like, okay, one of these days. This is so different than that. This is intense obedience with a big fat spring to stay sucked right up into the presence of God in righteousness. And that's the picture of a mature believer And I am not there yet, but I want to be. Do you? Final point. This is so important. I'm going to keep coming back to it. Reality number one. The spiritual reality that we have not talked about really today, but it existed this whole time. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you are already righteous. And that's so important. So important to remember You are already 100% conformed to his character. But our job and our duty and our pleasure, our our work, is to listen to the sound of the Holy Spirit and grow in holiness and in righteousness every day to try and bring those two realities closer together. But someday you will die. And if you know Jesus as your Savior, he looks at reality number one, justification, and that is, is the basis on which he decides your eternal destination, and that is so important. But I want you to consider where you stand today. Are you a person who has been justified? If you have been, where do you stand in this process of sanctification? Do you feel like you're stuck at the loose, floppy, spring, slinky stage? Or are you seeing yourself growing in holiness day after day as you listen to the sound Listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit. Do you see your spring getting fatter and fatter? What's next for you? What needs to change in your life to move ahead in growth and sanctification? Let's pray about that. Our Father, we thank you for the words you give us in Scripture to understand how we are to engage with you in a relationship. And we're so thankful that you've cared for us to pursue us and come after us when we were yet your enemies. Not just to justify us and then walk away, but you desire for us to actually grow into the righteousness we already have. And you work in us, and you're patient with us, but you work in us by the power of the Holy Spirit to make that happen, and I'm so thankful for that. I pray that you would ignite a desire within each one of us to know you better, And help us to hear the sound of your voice when you speak to us so that we can at least know how to obey. And then I pray that you would give us the strength and the fortitude and the the desire to obey. I pray that you would help us to have a vision for that type of Christian maturity that we seek after so that we can make steps in this process of sanctification as you lead us and as we participate and follow. Thank you, Lord, for 
the word of God that you have given for us to chew on today. Amen.